Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 106. Thank you for joining us. Uh, today is part two. Part two. Do, dos. Do. No dos. Part two no. of my conversation with Carolyn Tate, who is the founder of the Slow School of Business. So I had obviously part one with her last week where we spoke where we spoke a lot about her personal journey and the reason that she basically sold up her life, her busy life in Sydney and moved off to the south of France with her son. And I know a lot of people got a huge amount of inspiration from that. And knowing what I knew about Carolyn before we even spoke last week, I knew that there was a whole other side of her that I wanted to, to spend some time exploring. And she was kind enough to come back pretty much straight away and have another conversation with me. So that's what today's episode Did is. you have a two-hour conversation with her? Almost. Wow. Yeah. No, she's she's got – I mean, the thing is – oh, actually, before I go on, I made a mistake in the intro of last week's episode. I said that she was a founder of Conscious Capitalism Australia. That was not right. She's a founding member of Conscious Capitalism Australia, so I'm very sorry that – I got that wrong. She is a founder of the Slow School of Business, though. But she has so much knowledge of what conscious capitalism is, what it means to build a purposeful business, what it means to build a purposeful life. So I really wanted to come back and talk to her specifically about conscious capitalism and why it's basically the same the same coin. But what's that saying? Different side of the same coin. <laughs> <laughs> of conscious consumption and what that looks like for her and what you know what our options are as consumers. And we also talk a bit about the sharing economy and her thoughts on that as someone who's involved in the conscious capitalism movement. It's just a really interesting conversation. She's I've, got some great stories, doesn't she? She really I mean, does. Her, her life, that, that part one was fascinating. It was. About the, all the things that has happened in her life. And I was really interested in that piece where she's talking about an empty nest. Yeah. And I think we need to look at more people and their experiences with that and slowing down because that would be that's a significant milestone and I think a significant trigger for people to slow down. I think that we have quite a few listeners who are in a similar situation and now they're like what to like where to next to now, you know yeah. what what of all of this stuff that we've accumulated and all of these these things that we've done what of them have a place in our life going forward yeah i do i think i i do think that there's probably a few points in people's lives like having a child maybe or maybe getting married or moving out of home like those big milestones and then also becoming an empty nester that that see a lot of people absolutely questioning yeah. So anyway, it, this was a great conversation. Before we jump into it, I just want to send out a reminder for our Perth event, which is happening on the 29th of October. Kelly Exeter, Alex Stewart and myself are hitting up Perth for an afternoon of simple living. So head to asimplerway.com.au for tickets and details of that event. Tickets are f selling out fast. They, they actually are. And, so go um, check it out. Well, it's a month away now, so... Wow, if you it is. haven't already, get on it. Yes. But in the meantime, enjoy my second chat with Carolyn. Part me. Oh, yeah. It's you, me. Good.
Well, hello again, Carolyn. Thank you so much for coming back and talking to me. Uh, Thanks for having me again, Brooke. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think we just had so much to, to discuss last time that I'm just pleased that we could put our heads together again so quickly. Look forward to it. So the thing that I really wanted to ask you about in the beginning today is the work that you do to spread the message of conscious capitalism. Now, in my intro to last week's episode, I mistakenly said that you're a founder of Conscious Capitalism Australia, but you're a founding member. So can you tell me a bit about, first of all, what that that association and what that movement is really about and mm-hmm. why you also chose to, to join it as a founding member? Yes, so um, conscious capitalism is a is a, a movement and it's a philosophy, I guess, um, that started in the US, and it was founded by uh, John Mackey of Whole Food Markets. For those that know um, uh, Whole Food Markets over in the US, it's a, a massive organic store that employs I don't know hundreds of thousands of people. Um, I'm not quite sure it's that many, but it's it's very big. Um, and then also an academic called Raj Sisodia who um, who had written a book called Firms of Endearment, which was my first foray into this idea that capitalism could actually be a force for good and uh, a really great book called Firms of Endearment. And so I read that book in uh, early 2011 and it opened my eyes to the idea that uh, there was a way that capitalism could, as I said, be a force for good. So uh, this movement was created in the US and there are now chapters all over um, the world and uh, the one in Australia was started in about 2011, I think it was. And uh, so conscious capitalism, as I said, is a philosophy and it's also a, um, a way of being in business and there is a website, consciouscapitalism.org.au uh, and .org as well. And... The it kind of might sound almost like an oxymoron, conscious and capitalism, um, <laughs> which kind of I think is what a lot of people um, are intrigued by. Mm. And um, yeah, so it's a movement of bringing um, a, a higher purpose to business, really, and it's based on four principles, which I can talk about um, as well. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's an interesting kind of term that people will balk at I think when they first hear about it this idea of conscious capitalism because I guess capitalism is in most of our minds just this it's it's consumerism and it's also kind of rampant and the the opposite of conscious you know it's mindless it's 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 hyper consumerism is is kind Mm. of what we seem to align capitalism with so I think the idea of bringing a conscious side of it and to me that speaks of ethical capitalism and ethical businesses and practices and you know a people-centered approach to business and also building profitable businesses so is that one of the the kind of pillars of a, a conscious capitalist kind of company or um, you know what are the other the other elements of it well, you know, the ethical piece and, and the other side of conscious capitalism is conscious consumption. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. I went to the Conscious Capitalism Summit in San Francisco in 2013 and it was wonderful being there, seeing all these conscious business people. But I, I left that conference with this amazing 
almost like a feeling of guilt that how could I stand on stage or talk about conscious capitalism or be an advocate of conscious capitalism if I wasn't actually being a conscious consumer. So I came away from that conference really understanding that I had to drive um, conscious consumption in my own life if I could actually even advocate for conscious capitalism, if that makes sense. No, it, it does, yeah, because, I mean, you're looking at two opposite sides of, of sort of the same issue, aren't you? You know, the things that you spend your money on and then the way that you're creating a, a business that, that has purpose at its centre. So in terms yep. of becoming a conscious consumer, did that impact the the things that you bought and where you bought them from and, and, you know, were you looking more at the origins and the the welfare of the people who were producing the things that you were buying or did it impact you in different ways? Yeah, I look, I, I made a, a daily choice to, you know, as part of um, what I mentioned in my last blog or our last podcast, I'm sorry, I, I switched, on the, switched on the slow switch, mm. um, which is exactly what, conscious consumption is about it's slowing down before we purchase something and thinking where was this thing made do I need this thing what's it where is it going to end up um is it going to end up in landfill or is it something that I will have for you know the next 20 30 years you know those sorts of things but but um yeah it sort of does make you yeah, it really makes you reassess every dollar that you spend and whether it's actually a vote for the planet and, and, and your life, I guess. So that was one part. But I think the four pillars of conscious capitalism are also directly relevant to us as a conscious consumer. And, and the four pillars are firstly having a higher purpose as an organisation. So why do we exist beyond making a profit? And that is, you know, how are we better for the world um, what's the contribution we are making? How is the world better because um, we exist? And so it's really about assessing why as an organisation we actually exist in the first place, the purpose piece, which is where I do a lot of um, my work now with companies is helping them define what is their purpose. And then the second pillar is uh, conscious leadership. The third p- pillar is conscious culture and then the fourth pillar is about stakeholder orientation. And, and that's a bit of corporate jargon, which I kind of don't describe to, but the idea that if we're going to create an entity that every, uh, every stakeholder in, uh, involved in bringing those services or products to market are treated ethically, mindfully, and are actually part of the prosperity model that every every stakeholder is winning, whether that's a, a supplier, whether it's a customer, whether it's um, the community that a business operates in, whether it's the environment. Um, it's really understanding that every stakeholder is impa- impacted by a business and understanding their contribution to to that organisation. So, yeah, that, so they're the four pillars and obviously there's a lot of depth that goes into each of those and there is a book called Conscious Capitalism, uh, a book that was written by John Mackey and, and Raj Sasodia as well, which, which kind of drills down into each of those four pillars and gives some um, great examples of companies that are d- exhibiting that. You know, companies like Etsy and Patagonia and Intrepid Travel here in Australia and, you know, a whole lot of companies that are Tom's Shoes that are really living and breathing these con- the principles or the pillars of conscious capitalism. Mm. Do you think that there is a a swing towards these companies and this way of running a company over the past few years? I mean, I 
I feel like there is, but I don't know whether that's a, like a confirmation bias because I'm now spending a lot more time researching the companies that I support and, you know, the products that I do buy, like I really want to make sure that they are worthwhile and it's going towards building something positive rather than anything negative. So do you think that that there is a a swing towards this more conscious model of business? Yes, definitely. In fact, I'll I'll send you um, a research report which you might be able to attach to Mm, the bottom of this podcast when you send it out. But uh, there's definitely a massive swing in uh, of people's consumption habits moving towards purposeful brands. So it's actually um, there's a lot of research now, and there's there's a new, you know, they're calling it the purpose economy. You know, every day I'm coming across a new organisation or a new piece of research or a new uh, advisory count, uh, consulting firm or whatever that is really dr- drilling a lot deeper on this concept of of how we're creating a purpose economy. So, yeah, there's a lot more research and I'll share those uh, some of those resources with um, the listeners too, Brooke. You can add them into the next blog um, underneath this podcast. No, that'd be fantastic because I think... I mean, I, I myself fall into the trap sometimes. Like I, I feel good, you know, and I'm really much more mindful of, first of all, anything that I kind of bring into our, our life or our home and then also making sure that those things count for something. But then I sometimes sort of draw my 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 reference point of reference back and I look at the wider world and sometimes I feel really despairing about things. And while there's nothing that I can necessarily do about that big picture and only, you know, make the changes that in the choices that we're making and the products that we're buying and the people that we're supporting, but it's really nice to hear that you're seeing a very quantifiable swing towards these purpose-centered organizations that makes me feel like you know we're we're really making strides and uh you know hopefully that continues but uh, i'm sure it will actually you know looking at the the organizations who are now starting to to bring purpose and people back into the equation so you you spent years like in as a marketing professional was do you think that was part of your reason for adopting and and coming into conscious capitalism because you saw it also from the other side where I guess your job in some part was to just encourage people to buy and engage with brands do you think you felt some kind of not ownership of it but you you felt like you'd had a part in that the the flip side of the conscious capitalism piece yeah yeah I did Brooke before I went to um before I decided to sell everything up mm. and go and live in France and kind of give away my marketing vocation, I guess, um, or my profession. Um, a vocation is different to a profession. Mm. I gave away my <laughs> profession because I did feel like I was, you know, sometimes I'd be with a client helping them with their marketing strategy and, and determining how they were going to, you know, get a website and be on social media and how they would promote and package their product and then I'd leave that day with that particular client and, and really drilling deep on my own values and what I stood for, I'd think, I don't even believe in the product that company mm. is selling, you know, and, and it was really compromising for me. So while I was applying my profession and my skills, I was sitting there at the same time thinking I didn't believe in the product, I didn't feel like what they were 
wanting to market to the world was actually something that was making a positive contribution, that it was it was literally being developed in order to, you know, for, for financial reasons alone and that there wasn't really much depth to some of the companies I was helping market. And I also was seeing the profession, you know, I, I was seeing as a profession marketing, you know, I, I used the term unconscious binge marketing. Mm-hmm. And there was just so much, everyone's shouting at each other for a share of, of the consumer and consumer as a word is just such an odious word that marketers have developed. You know, we're not consumers, we're human beings and every time I hear that word consumer, it just makes me cringe because at the end of the day, we are human beings and we are citizens and we want to contribute to community, we want to be a part of something greater we want to bring our gifts to the world. We want to make a difference in the world. At our core, that's what we're born to do. And so marketing has turned us all into hollow consumers. And so I really did feel very uneasy with the contribution that I was making. So there was only one thing to do, give it all up and start all over again. <laughs> yeah. I so, mean, yeah. What a, what a solution to come to. <laughs> mm. um, I think... But marketing does, you know, we do have, marketing can be a force for good and and I think I wrote Conscious Marketing and published that early last year because it was my last ditch attempt to say, hey, you know, we do need marketing but we need marketing in order to market good good products and services, not just products and services that have been created to, you know, um, for financial reasons. So at the end of our conversation last week, you mentioned that we are bombarded with over 3,000 advertising messages a day or marketing messages per day. How do people manage to to pick out, I guess, the organizations who are actually doing something positive in the world rather than people who are just using maybe positive marketing speak that's sort of like the, the equivalent of greenwashing, I guess, but with purpose? Uh, you know, so yeah. how, how do people spot the, the good ones? That, that's such a challenge, Brooke, mm. because, you know, the reality is we are all so time poor. And if we actually researched every single product we bought, yeah. you know, how, how do we have the time to do that? So I think the way to do that is to access the intelligence that's already out there. There are now apps that mm. will help you choose conscious brands. I don't, at the top of my head, have my name for some of them. But, but yeah, just starting to use some of the apps and the different tools that are online that allow us to make good decisions. Another big one is B Corporations. Yeah. So if you look up bcorporation.net, there's over 1,800 brands around the world that have gone through a very rigorous certification process to determine that they are purpose-driven, that they are environmentally friendly, that they are loving and looking after all of the stakeholders um, that their company has an impact on. So there are now, thanks to the internet, a lot of ways that we can find out good places to purchase our products from. So, yeah, B Corporation is a good place. I want to talk to you about the B Corporation piece because – Carolyn Tate and Co is is a B corporation, isn't it? Yes. Yep. We've been certified, which mm-hmm. is awesome. I mean, so um, before I actually get into that, though, there is one app that I do know off the top of my head that I personally use. It's called uh, Good for You or Good on You, I think, which is an uh, yep. it's a ethical fashion app that uh, yep. will rate 
organizations based on, I think, three criteria of people, environment and animal welfare, I think, those three and it gives a rating for each of those elements for every brand that's listed. And I just find that that's really helpful to at least start to get some grasp on the organizations who are open and willing to talk and willing to talk about how they're improving and what they can still improve on. And the organizations that just, they just stonewall, you know, that kind of information, they just refuse to give anything about any of those kind of practices. And I think it's, as you say, that kind of information can only be helpful if we're starting to mm. approach that process with an open mind. And, you know, we don't mm. want to have to <laughs> dig through all of the intelligence ourselves. Like there are people who are starting yeah. to put those together. Yeah. And look, I think, I think that um, part of this also book is, is to actually really stand back and assess what you stand for and mm-hmm. what you believe in, what are your values yeah. and around this. So, so in my, fashion in in what I wear I have a capsule wardrobe of about 45 items so I've really kind of um reduced my my clothing because you know, a fashion is the second biggest polluting industry after oil by the Which way amazing it's an astonishing fact it's d- sad yes. and um there's an awesome documentary by the way called the true cost if mm. anyone's read it it actually does it's all about the true cost of the fashion industry and we now have fast fashion and not only do we have seasons that, you know, four seasons of the year, we actually have, you know, the fashion industry has created about 10 seasons yeah. a year, you know, every 12 weeks or six weeks they're bringing out a new fashion line. So so fashion is one place to start. And so really philosophically thinking about how can I live with less um, and more sustainably. So I have a philosoph- a personal philosophy where I have a, a very small wardrobe and I only I, I will always look for buying from a secondhand or vintage store mm-hmm. or um, a charity store first for my clothing and shoes or I will buy from a local Melbourne designer. So I'm very, very conscious of, of, of looking for the local ethical Melbourne designers that are actually creating really uh, one-of-a-kind pieces which are actually cheaper at are actually as cost effective as buying from a big fashion brand store, for example. So, so yeah, I think part of this is developing for yourself a bit of a philosophy and what you stand for around the various elements of, of your purchasing day or life. Yeah, mm. I think that's absolutely right because uh, I was speaking to someone who works with Fashion Revolution about, you know, <laughs> what's the best change to make initially you know do we go organic do we go local do we go fair trade do we like there's all of these different sort of elements and this is just in terms of fashion and new fashion and she said you know you just need to choose what it is that you are passionate about it might be you know using no animal products and no animal byproducts or it might be fair trade or you know whatever whatever it is that that is valuable and and central to you as a person then start making decisions based on that because otherwise it can be quite overwhelming in terms of trying to make a good decision but you 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 need to compromise in some way. Uh, I have a really similar kind of approach to you in terms of fashion because I just think it's madness that something that is, and it shouldn't be, but in so many areas is viewed as a throwaway kind of, you know, consumer-facing industry is 
polluting to it's polluting to the extent that it's only second to like the oil industry or you know mining or, or whatever it is that that's ahead I, I just think that's madness particularly when some of the things that people are buying are worn not at all or once or twice before they fall apart or you know they're they're out of fashion it's just um it's an area that we can actually make a big difference by just starting yeah. to question what we buy and what we spend our money on mm. and where we buy it from and look, I, I, that is just so true, Brooke. I think that, and we also there, there's quite an emotional and spiritual element to to this as well. I think to really dig deep around why we're buying stuff. Like I think I've seen it um, in uh, girlfriends over the years where they have these massive wardrobes that, when they are feeling low or upset or kind of lonely or disillusioned. Um, shopping becomes their sort of therapy and I think a lot of psychological analysis needs to go behind our consumption habits and why we it's a bit like an addiction it is an addiction you know overconsumption is an addiction and um, I've seen friends who have just houses filled with stuff that they wouldn't even know was you know that they would probably forget that forgotten that it's even there so I think there's some deep analysis that we can all do in understanding what's the motivation behind our overconsumption alongside of setting some values and some principles around what we would like to, how we would like to behave as a consumer. Exactly. I think they go hand in hand, really you know, quite importantly go hand in hand to, to not only think why do I feel the need for all these things but if I'm going to purchase things or if I'm going to bring things into my home or my life, you know, what are they going to stand for? But I think you're absolutely right. The vast majority of us just need to rethink our relationship to stuff before we think about anything else because it's just a cycle of, of man, it, it's just, it just spirals for so many people and I speak to people really regularly who are facing up to this realisation, you know, as I talk to them that stuff has become an emotional crutch or a way of identifying the kind of person that they are or the kind of person that they want to be. And I've been through it myself. When you start to realize these things, it's, it's uncomfortable, you know, and it takes some real head and heart work to, to move through it. But on the other side of it is so much to gain, you know, there's so much freedom and lightness and everything that people who are listening have probably heard me talk about a hundred times, but it's uh, yeah, just that, that, that sheer act of, questioning our relationship to stuff is so important and one of the best places to start I think well it's freedom yeah you know I I think I think that um having less and doing more and having experiences and um it just it it, it's freedom the opposite of 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 overconsumption is freedom absolutely (laughs) really yeah, it's interesting. That brings me, and I do want to come back to the to the B Corporation question. Um, but the idea of freedom brings to mind a question that I wanted to ask you, which is tied up in success and what you view as a successful life. Because I think this idea of success is one that drives us for towards this overconsumption in a lot of ways. Because we keep up with the Joneses. You know, successful people should be wearing these clothes and driving this car and living in this suburb. But once we start to distance ourselves from from those, you know, those external ideas of success, it's a really interesting question to ask ourselves, what does a successful life look like? And I've got a friend called Joel 
whose answer to this question changed my philosophy on it forever. And he said success for him is the ability to be in a position to be able to help other people. You know, and I think to me that speaks of freedom because it speaks of resources and time, but then also the desire to to not only use that for ourselves and, you know, making our own lives better, but for helping other people. So do you have any, you know, personal philosophy on what it is to be successful in life? Yeah, uh, I do. Sorry, that's a really <laughs> deep question yeah. to throw at you. Well, no, no, I've actually been writing about it for the book that I'm writing at the moment. And one of the practices that I have, 12 practices in the book, and one of them is actually redefining success right. on our ter- own terms. It's funny as you write how you can form your philosophies and uh, what's what's actually come up for me personally is I measure success according to whether I am living a life and earning a livelihood according to what I stand for and what I believe in mm. and my values. For me, that's what success is, is not compromising and and being committed to to knowing what it is you do stand for and what your values are. And so, you know, in my life, if I think about the things that I stand for, you know, small footprint living for me is a really, really important practice that I'm developing. And so for me, it's it's actually about always shifting towards what you stand for. So I've just bought a home in... Um, did I mention this in my last podcast? You did, yeah, and I'm so intrigued by it, yeah. Yeah, so I just um, I bought into this development of 65 dwellings in Roseneath Street in Clifton Hill and it is a small full footprint living eco-friendly development where it is all about the community. And yesterday I ended up, I had a meeting with one of the other people who have bought into the complex yesterday and she's an amazing um, community builder. And we were talking about how we were going to talk to the architects that have uh, actually been the mastermind behind this project about how we're going to start co-creating the community now. And this development isn't even going to be finished until December next year. Mm. But we're going to start co-creating the community and what we stand for as a community. What is our purpose as a community? You know, 65 dwellings, probably 100 or so residents. How are we going to behave and stand for as a community? And I just think how lucky am I to be able to, well, it's not luck, you make your own luck, um, but how lucky am I to be able to create these purpose projects in my life, and I call them purpose projects, that are centred on what I truly believe in and what I stand for, and that for me is success. I, it's, I mean, it's so closely related to what we spoke about last week, and, and that is purpose or you know uncovering your why and then living according to it and I think the the key there is that you've done that work you know you've 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 done the the head work and the heart work to uncover what that why is and then you've been willing to make the changes to create and continue to to make the changes that are going to get you closer and closer to that that why or that purpose and I think there's so much to be learned from that because you know, I think there there is a, a big disconnect between our values and the way we live just in general. Uh, and I think maybe that's because we're not necessarily clear enough on what it is that is central to, yes. to us personally. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like you're so right and I think it's purposes. Mm. It's not yeah. purpose. 
So an organization or an entity, if you're establishing a business and you've got 100 employees and suppliers and customers and a whole lot of stakeholders, as an entity, you actually need a common purpose Mm. because everyone in that organization needs to be working towards that higher purpose. As an individual, however, I think that we have various purposes according to the various parts of our rich life. So there might be a purpose project you adopt in your health and well-being, a purpose project for your family, a purpose project in your small footprint living, in your work, etc., etc. So I've been, as I've been writing about this, I've been really understanding that we don't all have one purpose as an individual. We have purpose projects that we can adopt working within um, those beliefs and things that we stand for. So another passion of mine is um, feminine leadership. Like I've already got my next book in my head around how, you know, I always say to women, you know that it's our time, don't you? Mm. You know, it's our time, don't you? And every time I just get this mild nod from a woman going, yeah, you are so right. (laughs) And not to alienate men in any way, shape or form. I love feminine men. That's what the world needs. We need um, the, the, the positive feminine in men and women. It's not actually a... A feminine trait it's a human trait uh, a gender trait I mean it's a human trait so I already know that there'll be a purpose project for me around that concept of feminine leadership so that's what keeps life exciting there's not one thing that we all have to aim for that's out there in the distance that um, seems impossible to achieve it's actually creating various purpose projects aligned with what we really believe and stand for and, and I guess for me that is what what success a successful life is what an amazing sort of summation of living purposefully i love the idea of purpose projects because you're right otherwise it can so quickly become overwhelming to have this out there kind of ideal way of being that feels completely overwhelming and and impossible you know to reach but purpose projects is a really nice way of of reframing that and thinking about all the different things that are central and important to us you know personally I think it's fabulous I'd like to circle back now eventually I got there to the B Corp uh you know piece that we were talking about before can you sort of tell me a bit more about what it means to be certified as a B Corporation and also why it was really important to you to to go through the process so B Corps or B Lab is the the company that uh, the organisation that runs the B certification process, and essentially companies go through a um, a rigorous assessment of various areas of their organisation, such as governance, uh, such as your purpose and mission and values and those sorts of parts of your organisation. It also um, does things like assess your environmental impact. It assesses your community impact as well. You know, who are the stakeholders in your organisation? How are they contributing to the purpose of your organisation? So it's a, it's a certification process that you actually go through to help you determine how conscious and uh, you are as a business. So um, the, the, the line that B Corps uh, use is how are we being better for the world, not just best in the world, mm. um, which I think is a lovely sentiment and that's what becoming a B-certified organisation does. It actually measures your contribution to being better for the world instead of just not uh, best in the world. 
And there's about 1,800 companies or so, I think, that have been certified around the world. Um, B Lab as an organization are also championing the B Corporations law, so a new law that uh, is all about benefit corporations, about organizations being beneficent for all stakeholders, so shifting away from the traditional corporations law to actually uh, creating a law which, which will ensure that organisations are of benefit to community, society, environment and all the other stakeholders such as employees, customers, uh, suppliers, etc. So it's um, for anyone that's interested with uh, B Corps, um, B Lab suggests that we start by doing a B impact assessment. So it's an assessment you can do online which will just give you a, a gauge of how well you would track if you were to go through a B certification process right. and yeah so it's it's an and it's also um, an amazing global community so um, they have uh, B champion conferences over in the US um, coming up which sadly I can't go to um, we also have uh, events here in um, Australia as well B Corp events so you can go to morning teas and to drinks and various community events where you can get tapped into the community um, there's an, an online directory where you can actually access other B Corps and start to support each other. Um, I think our next big opportunity with B Corps is to become um, more collaborative and to start mm. co-creating and working on projects together and starting to advocate for each other as businesses. So it, it can also be a great alternative to um, what I guess in a way it's a marketing opportunity for people to communicate and share their service offerings so we can support each other and help each other grow our businesses. It's such a fantastic movement. I mean, I'm really curious. I'm, I'm going to go and sort of check it out and see what the, the process looks like and, and what the, you know, where the, the different elements kind of all fit in together. But yeah, I could just, even just listening to you talk, I could imagine the, like the possibilities of these companies coming together and starting to support each other and making things together. And, you know, that what a force for good in the world. That's incredible. Yeah, look, it's it's amazing, and I think I think the next big opportunity for business is to really step um, more deeply from collaboration to co-creation. Mm -hmm. And to me, co-creation is where we start having a number of independent businesses coming together to actually co-create something bigger than what they could yeah. deliver on their own. So, you know, an example of that is with Slow School and it's why I actually started the school. It was one thing to learn together. It's another thing to do together. Mm -hmm. So we run a, a course called Talk on Purpose which has basically uh, there's six, uh, six of us that uh, work together on that uh, to deliver that project to, to, the, to the world. But there are literally over 70 or 80 now people that have done the course but we're all working together to bring this product out to the market so so for me the co-creation piece it's actually the toughest piece of it all because particularly as it gets into that financial kind of how to, who gets paid what and all of those sorts of things but co-creation is really a big opportunity moving forward and it's a it's a principle we use at slow school and we're really kind of grappling with how do we how do we bring that to the fore and, and present the idea of co-creation co yeah in business mm. it's, uh, it's so interesting and I can't kind of wait to see how that all unfolds I guess the other side uh, you know it's more, more loosely related but is the idea of 
you know, the sharing economy and then collaborative consumption and all of all of those kind of elements mm-hmm. as well. And is that something that like, you personally are interested in and championing and, and you sort of see it as a way forward as well in terms of purposeful companies and, and you know, having a good impact on the world? Yeah, I do. I, I, um, I look at companies like Uber, for example, who you would say are a share economy company but I fundamentally believe that until everyone shares in the wealth or the prosperity of an organisation, it's not actually a share economy. It's only a share economy in that it's peer-to-peer to a degree except that the um, capital value is being extracted by right. the few. So we have to be very careful when we really dig deep around the whole share economy and really investigate exactly what it really does mean. And and so, you know, I love Uber. I really do. However, I also think there are many platforms like that that are overlaying traditional capitalist models using technology so they're overlaying a technology solution on an old school industrial capitalist model yeah so we want to be diligently um uh, transitioning to a true share economy world which means that everyone is prosperous in the process and not that we need to share wealth equally it just needs to be equitably and that means that we move away from an extractivism capitalist model um, to a regenerative capitalist model, which is basically where everybody is feeling looked after, loved, engaged. And um, and now we've got technology. There is absolutely no excuse mm. for not being able to, to shift towards a true platform cooperativism model where everyone cooperates for the benefit of everybody which is really exciting. We're really vast, you know, I'm, I'm sort of I'm a total novice on this, I must admit. I, I kind of I believe in capitalism to a degree, but I also believe there's a new system out there that's being birthed um, as we speak. And so I'm a complete novice, but I'm kind of digging deep and learning and watching documentaries and sort of uh, co- connecting with people that are really into the cooperativism movements and models as well yeah I find it really I mean I'm exactly the same as you I I don't even know where to begin in terms of of that sort of model of business or anything like that but I think that there is something there and I do think that the rise of organizations like Uber mean that people are open I guess to the idea of the sharing economy and I agree with you that that's not actually what that is (laughs) but it's it's kind of Mm -hmm. got the the idea, I guess, of, of I don't know, collaborative consumption or or at least shared resources becoming more. Well, it's the peer to peer. It's the peer to peer concept. Yeah. You know, where you've got the driver and the passenger um, directly interacting and working and and serving. You know, the drivers serving the the passenger. So it's that concept which is really really powerful, mm. but it's not actually then realised in a financial uh, capacity. Yes, the driver's getting paid and the passenger's making a financial contribution. And you know, I would love to understand more. I don't know. I you know, I haven't. I'm not casting aspersions on Uber at all. I don't have the evidence one way or another sure, yeah. of what their financial model is. So please don't take that as a, a casting aspersions. <laughs> Um, but I just want to question it, and I think I think we all have the right to question how how those two peers are financially being rewarded 
as well. Mm. And you mentioned that you've been watching documentaries and, and researching and reading. Do you have any resources that you can list off the top of your head that people might be, if they're interested in learning more, could check out? Or if not, just... um. You know, I can put them in the show notes as well. Yeah, I'll I'll give some consideration to it. Um, I just um, read about last night actually this this town uh, development in India called Oroville, um, which started in the '60s, which is totally off the grid, and they've got about two thousand plus people. Yeah, they're totally uh, self sufficient. Um, wow. So so yeah, I was digging into that late last night, but. Uh, yeah, there is a movie um, called Transitions, which is quite interesting, which talks about different um, economies around the world where they're sort of boycotting um, financial systems, that established financial systems. Um, there, there's a, actually a few Films for Change is an awesome, um, I don't know if it's called Films for Change just realized but there's a there's an organ there's a, a website that lists all the documentaries of that are around um transition things like co-op platform Great. cooperative etc etc i'll dig it up and i'll send it i'm sorry i'm being a bit like no 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 i just i just dropped that question on you <laughs> i just i dropped that question on you with absolutely yeah. no warning so i will definitely include links to a lot of these in the show notes for everyone uh, but i just appreciate you know your insight because you're you're further forward on it than I am. So anything that you're using to kind of learn and expand and 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 kind of change your perspective on it is going to be really valuable to me and then to everyone listening yeah. as well. So I appreciate it a lot. I'll send a whole bunch of links. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, this has been such a an excellent part two, <laughs> an excellent conversation. So thank you so much again for your time and for sharing your story and your your insights and your personal philosophy. I know I've taken, like I've been, I don't know if you could hear me, but I was scribbling notes as we were talking because you just dropped so many little, you know, bombshells of wisdom and ideas and inspiration. So thank you for, for, you know, chatting with me over the last couple of days. I've really appreciated it. You're welcome, Brooke. I've really thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. And, you know, apart from, I guess, a parting word, Apart from the fact that, you know, deep down we all do want to make a positive contribution. I think we're innately born with that desire to belong and to give belonging to others and to actually lead a purpose-driven life and create purpose-driven work for ourselves. I guess I'd finally say have fun with it and be Mm. gentle on yourself. Um, I think my biggest learning uh, has been that I've taken it too seriously at times and it's a heavy load once you really start investigating really how much reparation we need to make to the world yeah and um you know you go through your your angry times your sad times but um be kind to yourself and I think that's probably been the biggest learning for me is that I can do only so much and um I have to have you know it's important to have fun along the way and really really not take it all so heavily and and go lightly go lightly but um with intent it's such a beautiful place to 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 finish because i think it's encouraging you know and and it's inclusive and expansive rather than than kind of guilt guilt ridden i think that's really excellent advice thank you thanks brooke thank you so much for having me on the show pleasure bye
Bye, Podcast.